It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to another episode of Screen Heroes. My name is Ray, and I am joined tonight by my regular, lovely, super handsome, ultra cool host, Derek. Yo! And Ryan. And then the other guy, Ryan. <laughs> and Ryan. Hi. And Ryan. And Ryan. How are you guys doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm all right. Derek? I'm very sunburned for the one day I went to the pool this summer. The one time Derek actually <laughs> left the house this summer. Look. This is why you don't leave the house. I was there, and I recall you smiling once or twice, so maybe it was... I had a great time. Good. Okay. Listen, next... you were in the water the whole time. You have no... You, can, you shouldn't complain. No, it was It was actually awesome. It was a great time. It was the next day, the next morning, <laughs> that I woke up in severe pain. Like an aloe vera bath. Uh, I've been using a lot of... What is it called? Light, uh, so lidocaine? we use the aloe vera with lidocaine, so we're numb right after. So, oh, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, thinking about taking some injections from work so I can just stick it right in there and <laughs> everything's numb. I don't do needles. <laughs> anyway, uh, so what are we talking about tonight, guys? Well, we're going to be talking about our favorite special effects. Yes. In movies yes. and film. So we've talked practical effects before. So but when we say special effects, we should be a little more specific. Computer effects, CGI, animation on top of live action, things like that. Right. So we did an entire episode on practical effects already. So if you want to know more about what we think of practical effects, which I don't want to speak for you guys, but I feel like those are probably more of our favorites yeah. Yeah, than the absolutely. CGI type stuff. But and I'll say a lot of my moments on this list are in movies that are accompanied by practical effects yeah. heavily. So mm-hmm. The ones that we talked about, specifically things like Jurassic Park, Labyrinth, they all had, uh, I mean, Terminator... Terminator, sorry. Uh, They all had wonderful moments of computer-generated effects as well, so they might pop up on our list today, but hopefully we'll use, like, smaller, different examples throughout. Yeah. But if you are interested, episode 115 was our practical effects episode, so... We like to do sequel episodes every once in a while. This is one of those times. And maybe next time we'll do a prequel episode. You know, just to be within the industry standard. Ryan, crickets. do you have any We news? need a cricket soundboard. Yeah, so anytime rough. Derek talks, we can just hit crickets. Um, all right, so we'll, we'll, we'll go with news then. Yeah, let's do our news segment. That's okay. what we've got. So uh, first up, I mean, so much news just dropped today. So I'm just going to kind of spitball some stuff that's off the top of my head. Let's get the most ridiculous out of the way. Hey There Delilah by the Plain White Tees is going to be adapted to the screen. They made it sound like a TV. Yeah, yeah, it's a TV show. They weren't too specific on big screen or small screen, but it sounded like a TV show. And all I could think of was, this is going to be Three's Company, but worse. So, 
Yeah, because it's based on a Plain White Tees song. Right. I mean, it is, if you're not familiar with the song, it's it's basically like cookie cutter pop alternative type uh, song. I mean, it's catchy, and I listen to it, but it's not like... Can you have cookie cutter alternative? Yeah. Now you can, unfortunately. Now, yeah. like, that's, become, that's become a real thing. Well, in every genre of music, there is a formula to follow to make sure that you are successful, and they definitely followed it. The like crappy part is... He met a girl named Delilah in a bar and was trying to hit on her. And he said, oh, I wrote a song about Delilah once. And she's like, no, you didn't. And so he went home and he cranked this thing out. And he messaged her and said, yeah, I totally did. And she was like, by the way, I have a boyfriend. Like, what are you doing? And so that is the romantic story behind Hey There, Delilah. So romantic. And it should not have a TV show. So I will not be tuning into that. No, I'm not going That's to either. number two or three on the list that I will not be tuning into for sure. I don't usually wish failure on things, but... I don't think we even have to wish failure on that. I think that it's just like an inevitability. Inevitability. Was there a network in mind for this? Uh, probably not, because I can't imagine a network that would actually pick this up. Maybe the CW... The of plain course. white tees are actually developing yeah. it because they haven't been paid in a year. So yeah, because be, they're not relevant which right Earth now. Which so. in the Arrowverse will this take place on? Oh, no. <laughs> which one is the one that no one cares about? Same one the... as Everwood and <laughs> oh, yeah. One Tree Hill. <laughs> and that, what was that one fantasy show that Deathstroke was on? I can't oh, remember. Oh, the... What? Uh, Shannara Chronicles, yeah. Yeah. It's in the same universe. Oh, sorry, so I wasn't long. thinking of the actor. I was thinking of actually no. Deathstroke. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yes. It's like, what was Deathstroke in another show? Um, anyway. We have tons more news, guys. Come tons on, more back news. me up. Derek has the outline. So, um, alright, so CW, since we're talking about CW, uh, we have a little bit more information. Of course, we are getting a Batwoman show. Yes. They have confirmed that Batman exists, but we will probably never see him, which I think is fine. Um, I appreciate that they admit that he exists because... Yeah, because they tap dance around yeah. the issue like, for, like... But we talked season. about this. Like, Batwoman's fairly disconnected from him, and... To not acknowledge but him is silly. is she going to be disconnected, that disconnected from the show? Because everybody know. wants to see Batman. Like, that's I a mean, thing. a lot of people do, yeah. I mean, a lot of people also want to see Batwoman, so... Sure, I, but yeah. just like with Supergirl, everybody's like, when's Superman going to show up? Why isn't he here? And yeah. then the second season, boom, there's Superman. So it's maybe weird. that's what they do. The, the article made it sound like it's harder for them to use Batman than Superman. Like, WB is stricter on their use of Batman, which feels kind of ironic since Batman's been in far more properties yeah. at this point. Um, so I'm not sure what what's going on there. Maybe it's because there's the Gotham show, but that's not really Which is actually, Batman he's either. turning into Batman this season, supposedly. Sure. So. Yeah, supposedly. I hear he gets to use, quote, the B-word. Yeah. So. And that bat- B-word is Batman. The B-word is Batman, yeah. But also boobies, boobies. from what I heard. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He's going to say that. That's what I'm Bruce a lesbian. Is say. Yeah. That's, when, that's when she turns into Catwoman. When <laughs> Selena turns into Catwoman, that's she's when, like, yeah. I'm now a woman. So, anyway, Ruby Rose was announced to headline. So, not only are we getting an actor to head one of these shows with substantial amount of acting, but she already has, like, a fan base. She's bringing... She's an outspoken lesbian actress, if I'm not mistaken. She's LGBT, I don't know which 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 letter she identifies, but, yeah, she definitely is. She played... She was um, in John Wick, I'm pretty sure. She was in John Wick. Oh, was it the second yeah. one? Okay, well, and I guess I haven't seen her in anything. She was in Orange is the New Black, and she's going to be in The Meg this summer, so... That comes out this weekend. Oh, my God. Yeah, so she's <laughs> having a steady career, and... She's a movie actress. Yeah. 
you know, so that's a pretty big deal for the CW. Yeah. yeah Stephen absolutely. Amell was not a movie actor, and Grant Gusto was not a movie I actor, mean, really. I don't remember Stephen Amell being in anything. I just remember... He was mo- in, like, Varsity Blues or something, like, I don't oh know. Oh, my God, when he was, like, 10? Yeah, I don't know. He was very young. <laughs> wow. I mean, I, I, I would Some be curious to know how, how they're going to pay her, you know, because she is. She's been in movies recently, right? And, like, Orange is the New Black is not... Uh, a nothing show. Yeah. You know, that, that was basically what brought Netflix into the mainstream. So, But a lot of those Netflix shows have really long periods of downtime, it seems like. Yeah. So, That's true. I mean, I, well, I'm she's sure not she's on fine. the show anymore. Oh, okay. She's been written off, so we don't have to worry about that. Well, it isn't um, the show's ending anyway, right? I think this is the last season, yeah. the one that just hit, but I'm, yeah. I can't confirm. So she'd be done, you know, right now anyway. But The, the point is, I think... With the salary concerns, this show might be on a smaller scale. You know, they may not have a side character ensemble cast of, you know, seven or eight people. It may just be like three or four at the most, and I'm fine with that. I like, I remember watching The Flash and Arrow their first seasons, and their smaller groups were good and tight, and they have a really good relationship, and you flash forward to these now, and these seasons currently going on and while the new characters are fun those those core (laughs) members from the beginning like they interact with each other so much better than the other ones so maybe that's the case now she is supposedly in the same earth as arrow and and Mm -hmm. flash team flash team flaro whatever yeah um so i think that's an interesting decision after supergirl and black lightning or not that they would bring the well, next character into. Well, I think they're, they're doing this one with the intent to cross over right. repeatedly. Like, I mean, they want to make Arrow more relevant than what it is right now, I feel like. And Flash is kind of falling off the radar, too, at this point. If you haven't seen the newest season, it's starting to fall the Arrow way. So I'm sure <laughs> they want to, like, amp those shows up with this Batwoman, bring Batwoman in, and also, you know, yeah. the Batverse, whatever. Sure. Because you know, yeah. Robin could show up, or anybody from Gotham that's not Batman could show up, essentially. Batwoman teams up with Batwing a lot, so that would be really cool. Batwing would be cool. Apparently, I, so I would be surprised to see like Nightwing, Dick Grayson, because apparently the CW was going to do a Dick Grayson show, and yeah. WB told them no. Because yeah. of so, Titans, right. yeah. So that Robin's probably off limits, but maybe you could go with... Jason Todd would be fun. Well, but he's supposed to be in Titans too. So yeah, he's he is. Yeah, he's like right. there's all, one of the main there villains. Tim, Tim Drake, <laughs> Red Robin, right? Like pick a Robin, any Robin. Um, <laughs> so that's that's what's going on there uh, in the DC world. In other DC stuff, they are apparently developing a Supergirl film, a movie, cool. um, with the writer of um, Ryan. Help me out here. We talked no. about this. Yeah, I know, but I don't remember now fantastic thanks for thanks for prepping me on this Derek well I gave you the list you knew what we were going to talk about or but, uh, something it's a quality writer who has oh um, yeah uh, Cloverfield Paradox is one of them right what was the other one <laughs> it, was, it was movies that, that are good movies yeah. well received um, and so I think that the writer is good. It's a good start. I mean, I don't know that Cloverfield Paradox. Was oh, uh, 22 Jump Street was the other okay. one. Yeah. Cloverfield Paradox was a very split thing. It was in reviews. Yeah. A lot of people hated it. A lot of people liked it. So 22 Jump Street having, I know you, I don't know if you've seen it. I know Derek hasn't seen them, but I actually like the, the Channing Tatum comedic roles. And I think they were well-written, even if you, you know, No, I liked White House Down. 
Yeah. And that's that's Channing Tatum in a in a comedic action role. So well, Twenty One Jump Street and Twenty Two Jump Street were both very funny and uh, decent, you know, humor films. So I, I I don't know. I think she'll do or he'll whoever it is will do fine cool. in Supergirl. Um, and then the rest of the movie universe for DC or the worlds of DC, whatever they're calling it now. Um, so the Joker film starring Joaquin Phoenix begins production uh, next month in mm-hmm. September for an October 4th, 2019 release date. Uh, Robert De Niro is apparently officially signed on now, wow. which is crazy. And then um, Birds of Prey and Flash are supposed to begin filming in early 2019. Which Flash is not a Flashpoint movie anymore, right? They announced that it's well, not they, based they, on Flashpoint. They, they said that it may not be called Flashpoint. Yeah. Oh, okay. So well, because the CW did Flashpoint, so they don't want to. Sure, they did. did. I mean, Maybe. in like two episodes, it'll be resolved in half an hour, and then the rest of the episode, <laughs> or the rest of the movie, will be. Uh, so the movie just will actually Barry be... shaking his head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The movie will actually be Flashpoint, but called something else because the show used the name, and that was it, right. basically. Right. Yeah. Uh, but those those are both going in. Uh, they've confirmed Black Mask will be the villain in Birds of Prey. So good. I mean, I think people have been wanting to see this for the longest time. I'm very interested in it. I mean, Black Mask is a very good villain for that particular uh, group. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I don't know, I, I'm excited. I think yeah. it'll be a good movie. I'm excited to see some casting. Well, we know Margot Robbie. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's really <laughs> that's it. That's it, yeah. Um, you know, some of those other characters are important to us at this table. You know, we like those characters, and so hopefully we're all on board with uh, the actors or act- actresses that they pick for those roles. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Marvel news, if we continue the superhero trend. So we do know now that Daredevil Season 3 will hit in 2018. So that's four. So. That's one one season of each of the major Defenders. Yeah, once a quarter we get a Defender show, basically. Which I think is great. Some people are complaining it's too much, but I actually, I mean, it's, it's nice to have the show to look forward to every year, you know, and not... I'm not going too long without seeing something new in that universe, which I like. I like the consistency. You're not questioning when the next show is going to be and then maybe missing it, right? You have an idea that it's going to roll out in the next couple of months. Um, So I I don't see any problem with that, especially when you look at it as being, you know, 13 episode seasons that drop all at once. It's not 13 episode seasons anymore. It's supposed, supposedly Iron Fist is going to be 10 episodes. Okay. Really? Yep. Oh, okay. Well, because Luke Cage was, was 13 and Jessica right. Jones was. All the so. other ones have been. Yeah. Supposedly Iron Fist is only... They've only announced hmm. 10 episode titles. Interesting. Okay. And they've shown the first episode of Iron Fist at some uh, fe- at some uh, convention overseas. They showed the first episode. And there's a lot of reports that the fight scenes are really great compared to see- the first season. and. I don't know. I'm much more excited for it. But yeah, supposedly they're shrinking the seasons. It'll be curious to see if it's just Iron Fist or if it's also Daredevil. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, Daredevil, season seasons one and two of Daredevil were pretty busy seasons. Yeah. I'm not saying they couldn't have cut stuff, but they were busier. They were, they were about the only seasons that couldn't. I felt like they couldn't cut a lot out. Uh, it would be moments shows. from each episode, kind of like what I said about Luke Cage. Like, I never felt that a full episode should have been cut, but you add, you know, 10 minutes here, five minutes here, and it could add up into two or three episodes. So Daredevil, I think, has the least problem with the middle season slump where yeah. they kind of get boring and but stale. See, season two had the advantage of having Punisher, who's did, another it, huge Marvel hero, yeah. well, anti-hero, whatever, whatever, whereas, you know, none of the other shows have done that with a, have brought yeah. in a really new character like that, and that, that spun off into their own show. So right. yeah, they that was never, a huge advantage. 
They haven't done that. They just, you know, they brought Punisher in with the hopes that he would be Did popular enough show. to get his own. And they well, haven't. will season three have a character like that? Probably not. So it's going to have to stand on its own two legs without having to rely on, like, the hype of a yeah. character, a very, very important character to fans. Yeah, they've kind of used that card. So. Yeah. <laughs> do I want him to do a backdoor pilot like they did with Punisher, kind of, with his stuff? Sure, that'd be great. Yeah. Get Moon Knight in there, or, you know, uh, or Blade, Rider, or Ghost Rider, or any of those guys. Because Daredevil mean, does some mystical stuff. Depending so. on what they do, Elektra could do very well on her own, too. I don't think Electra could hold 13 episodes. I'm not even sure if she could hold 10 episodes by herself at this point, but she could hold five or six. Very interesting, story driven. Like, I would stick around for half season, I think, at the very least. So, there are characters they've already developed that they can continue if they're smart about it. Well, season three does have the advantage of bringing Fisk back. Mm-hmm. That's the big advantage you know? for sure. So that helps. The other shows don't necessarily have that kind of villain that people are just like, you know, chomping at the bit to see more of. Um, not that they're well, having... Jessica Jones had Purple Man, but um, obviously with the way that series ended, it's, yeah, it's not a little likely different. that he's going to come back yeah. other than flashbacks. Yeah. Versus Fisk, who's very much alive and around, you know. And so. compared to, you know, Iron Fist, today I was watching Netflix and I saw Meacham's face pop up there as the just thumbnail. And I was like, oh my god, I forgot about him. Like, he was so <laughs> forgettable. He is not in, like, even the top ten things I think about when I think of Iron Fist. So, you know, they're lacking on their villains. Marvel has underdeveloped and underwhelming villains as a whole where they have 10 like amazing ones that they've developed and they've only kept like four of them alive so and that's movies and tv so they're just lacking on the good villain side fair enough the sucky thing about the netflix stuff is that there's an odd number of heroes at this point because they because they gave the punisher his own show so you have the four defenders but then you also have the punisher so you're not going to get a season of every mm-hmm. of the every one of the characters every year so it's going to be you know there's going to be a year without a daredevil and without a jessica jones without a luke cage consider if these continue on for however long who knows right. they have been very quiet about news for punisher season two like they have i mean it's done as far as i know done filming and it's yeah it's so t- probably march they're assuming well if, i mean right now we'd be looking at yeah november december so if it would be february march for yeah. punisher that yeah makes sense yeah so I don't know. I guess we'll have to see. Um, in the rest of Marvel news, they finally announced kind of what's happening with all the Marvel movie properties once Disney's streaming service launches. So that's supposed to be coming in 2019 here. And so the last Marvel movie to actually go to Netflix will be Ant-Man and the Wasp. Captain Marvel will go straight to the Disney streaming service. And once the contract runs out with Netflix, all of the MCU films will be moving to the Disney streaming service. That's about eight, nine months if you think... You know, the movie's coming out in March, and then you're going to give it three or four months before you release the Blu-ray DVD streaming anyway. So, you know, they've got some time to work it out, but it does kind of show you that they're almost ready to launch this. Yeah, I mean, they, they could launch it, you know, before Captain Marvel comes out, you know. Probably, and as soon just, as, like, Christmas or something. Mm-hmm, and just launch with all their existing content. Um, you know, I mean, CBS All Access was able to launch with really just one show, so I'm sure Disney could handle a similar type of situation. Yeah, not dry on content at all, right? 
Um, and, you know, the Clone Wars is returning. You know, maybe that'll be a launch show for Disney's new streaming service. Maybe that Freeform Squirrel Girl show that, that never came there out you go. could be. Or, well, not Squirrel Girl. But it, no, the, I know the New Warriors. Show. Yeah, New Warriors show could come out on that, too. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, the Netflix shows, so the Defenders shows, Daredevil and whatnot, are staying on Netflix for the foreseeable future. Probably because they're mature rated content, because Disney's made it very clear that anything adult will not be on their streaming Netflix service. Netflix also partly owns it. Like, they produce it. They put a ton of money in on their own. So it's not just a Disney Marvel show either. Like, Netflix, I, I'm pretty sure, approached them about the whole deal. So I feel like it's part of Netflix's baby, too. And to just take that away, uh, you probably have some intense lawsuits going on. No, the first season of Daredevil was huge for Netflix. I mm-hmm. mean, there weren't a lot of uh, original shows on Netflix at that point that were anywhere near that size. No, uh, you go interest. back to our season one, and that was one of the first shows that we ever reviewed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, before Daredevil, they you know they had House of Cards and Orange is the New Black, and those were their two, like, babies. Flagship right? or whatever, yeah. Yeah. But um, their third show, Marco Polo, was a huge financial flop. Right. Like, it cost them the most money out of all their shows up to this date. They have hundreds of con, hundreds of hours of content now, and it was the biggest financial bust. So, you know, it, it's not like they came out with two hits right away, but it's not like they kept on that yeah. path for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, I, I think that they're probably safe on Netflix because Disney doesn't want that type of mature content on their streaming service, at least now. You know, maybe at some point down the road, maybe they'll have a two-tiered system or something like that. Um, but that's not in the their the primary concern plans. is that apps have very little parental control. You know, you yeah. just have a setting for the app. It's usually all the way across, and not just profiles. And so. yeah, absolutely. There was some other Marvel news that came out this week. Uh, Infinity it came War. Out today. Well, this 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 one actually did come out today. I don't know that we're talking about the same one, but the Infinity War digital download, I think, is already out or comes out this week. In any case, people have been watching some of the promo footage and things like that, and they found another Captain Marvel reference in Infinity War in the promo footage. So, you know, obviously there's the end credit scene so when, when you're saying promo footage i when you know when they're promo or like when they're promoting a 4k release with uh you know oh, like extra the, footage the commercial and things like the... that yeah exactly okay. um so the big uh black order guy what which one is that one the big dude that gets oh yeah the was, big hulk looking guy his yeah. head destroyed in the um, shield i think it was blanca yeah blanca <laughs> uh so in the footage you can see clearly and i don't know how everybody missed it when the movie was actually in theaters he has uh, a captain marvel sash hanging off his belt uh it's that it's is like very interesting the clear it's clearly red with like the two gold stripes in the middle and then blue underneath um and so people are speculating what that means why would he have captain marvel's sash because that was Captain Marvel. The theory is that uh, <laughs> he killed Marvel and took the sash as a like trophy or whatever, and that's when Captain Marvel, as we know her, took over the mantle. Hmm. And uh, interesting, yeah, it's an interesting theory at I like least. That theory. And um, does that mean he's going to be in the Captain Marvel movies and then that movie in the nineties, killing Marvel? Like, is that yeah, maybe it's already kind of stuffed Ooh. with villains, but. 
I mean, I think it's easy to miss just because that character is really only in action sequences and there's just so much stuff happening. Yeah. Your focus is not so much on what the bad guy's wearing as much as just... But it's when you see waist. it, it's, it's not even, like, it's not even around his waist like a belt. It's literally, like, hanging off of his belt, like, down his leg. It's When you go see it, you, like, see the pictures, it's incredibly obvious. Yeah, I mean, it's it's easy to say something's obvious in a still image, but right. when you're watching a movie for the first time on the big screen, something That's true. like that... Now, to be fair, we've waited 10 years to see, you know, that's probably not where our heads were. And the digital download, you know, when, once the digital comes out and the, and it comes out on Blu-ray, DVD, 4K, whatever, people are going to be picking out all these oh, uh, Easter eggs, so it's just going to get Pausing, crazier. getting I mean, high-def screenshots. Yeah. If anybody has a good idea of what amount of Easter egg effort went into this film, it's probably the three of us. So the fact that, you know, it's been three months and we're still finding out new stuff and we're probably going to find out new stuff when Avengers 4 drops as well. Oh, yeah. So, mm -hmm. I think. You know, but we only saw it the one time. It's hard to catch everything in, in the first viewing. Uh, but I'm just yeah. surprised with all the Marvel fans out there that all went and saw yeah. this movie that everybody missed it until they started releasing this footage. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure somebody saw it, you know, but we just, just didn't, didn't post come about across it on the internet. Post. Well, maybe not on Reddit or or, so, or you know, something. But well, somebody posted you know. it on Reddit like today, yeah. and now like Nerdist has made a video about it, and Collider's oh, wow. made a video about it. Like everybody's making videos about That's it. That's how now, it works. So. Yeah, you know, yeah, ride the wave. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, small piece of Marvel news: uh, Nick Fury and Kobe. Well, excuse me, Samuel L. Jackson and Kobe Smulders. Nick Fury and Maria Hill are coming to <laughs> Spider-Man Far From Home. So. Yeah. So it obviously takes place while everybody's still in the Soul Stone. Yes. Obviously, the whole film. Yes. Yeah. Or. They're doing flashbacks of 90s Spider-Man and actually Tobey Maguire's in it. Oh, man. I'm in now. <laughs> I am all All the in. streams are crossing. Yeah. No, see, the real twist will be it takes place during the same time as Ant-Man and the Wasp. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Oh I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That doesn't work. I'm just. I'm just kidding. Are we but... finally done with the news? No, there's oh still more. There's still more news. We're almost half an hour in. Should we actually like talk about our subject? All right, one more topic then, and then we'll dive into our subject. I then. shouldn't have led with plain white teas. No, nope. <laughs> I just want. I, I, uh, so just an update. Last week we talked about Movie Pass, and we mentioned that the uh, subscription fee was going to be increasing for people. Well, the company decided to change course, and so I thought it was important that we mention this. They are going to be keeping the price the same, but you are now limited to a maximum of three movies per month. And then after that, you get $5 off each ticket rather than a free ticket. Um, pretty Still worth it. Yeah. Like, if, if you think about the cost of tickets, that's still a good deal, but... Yeah, I'm. you know, when you think about, you're still spending, it's the 10 bucks a month, yeah. right? So if you go see three movies for 10 bucks, that's a good deal in itself. That's and great. If a fourth movie is going to push you to $15, it's still a good deal, Yeah, right? You're still talking $4 a movie. But it still can't be special engagements or anything like that. Right. It's still extra for, for all that. Um, now, uh, I misspoke earlier when I said The Meg is coming out this weekend. It came out last weekend. It was in my head because The Meg and Christopher Robin, the two movies that came out last weekend, are not eligible for Movie Pass at this time. So you'll have to wait to see those if you want so to So you couldn't even get your $5 off? No. Hmm. Those are unavailable for Movie Pass. It's part of their, their new policy where s certain major films will have a delay for when they're available for movie pass. Well, um, that makes it a little more difficult because people want to go see the major films. Yeah. The yeah. the indie or art house or even the 
not blockbuster, but still major productions, you know, are the secondary, tertiary priorities. Well, I, I mean, you could almost argue that Christopher Robin is a bit of an artsy flick. I wouldn't put that in the same category as a Marvel film, right? It's not a summer blockbuster or anything like that. No. And it's being, you can't, you couldn't use it opening weekend, you know? So, you know, the Meg, all right, fine. It's your big summer monster flick. But Christopher Robin, like, that's a feel-good, emotional, you know, type Oscar, you know, worthy style film, right? Yeah. Is, is the idea of that anyway. Um, so it seems like basically maybe you just can't see anything opening weekend. I don't know. Uh, so that's that's happening. So if that upsets you, the, the, um, the CEO is basically saying that um, this will stop their, quote, cash burn by up to 60%. Um, which means that a huge number of people, which they claim is only 15% of their 3 million person user base, are seeing a lot of movies <laughs> every month on a fairly regular basis um, to burn through that much money compared to the rest of their user base. But uh, but yeah, so that's MoviePass. You know, still trying to trying to stay alive, stay afloat, adjusting things a bit. If you had a yearly membership, it does not impact you until you renew your yearly membership if you're month to month then you can obviously cancel or buy the next month with the new policy okay so i think that is going to be it for news we'll take a short break here and when we come back we will be talking about our favorite special effects in film do you like star trek because over at red shirts and runabouts part of the heroes podcast network we absolutely love star trek join us every week with me one of your regular hosts gregory bosco as we talk about your favorite characters, your favorite movies, your favorite episodes, we even respond to some of your comments on Twitter and Facebook, at least those that are appropriate for us to talk about online. Every Friday, Red Shirts and Runabouts. See you next week. All right, and we are back. So, favorite special effects in film. Mm -hmm. How do you guys want to start this? I put mine in chronological order, but we obviously don't have to do that. So. Mine's an autobiographical. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah? It's a Cosby sweater. It's another line from High Fidelity, just so you know. Okay. Would you like to go first? No. Okay, Ryan, why don't you go first, then? I always go first. <laughs> That's not true. Derek always makes me go first. We usually go clockwise around the room, so I was just going to mix it up a little well, bit. Well, why don't you go first? You didn't have... You didn't introduce and lead in. So it's your turn. You go first. You never go first. You go That's first. what I'm talking about. Derek goes first. All right, all right, all right. So uh, the goal here, of course, as we mentioned earlier, is to talk about special effects. So these are things that are not practical effects that required some type of animation, CGI, computer-generated, what's it, yes. things like that. Um, so most of my films are going to range, you know, more modern day, uh, with my oldest one being in the early 80s. So I'm just going to go ahead and kick things off then with... My first one, which is a, a pair of the two Tron films. So the first Tron came in 1982 and then the sequel in 2010. And uh, they're both pretty well known for their technological breakthroughs for film, even if they're cheesy, corny movies themselves. So the original was one of the first times that computer-generated special effects were combined with live-action people, right? And so that's where you had everyone's wearing the costumes and their things light up and there's the really cheesy block animations for the, uh, the, light, the light cycles and stuff. 
um, very early CGI. You know, you think about what the last Starfighter looked like, and that actually came out after uh, Tron did. Um, but the sequel, Tron Legacy, was one of the first films, uh, one of the first two films, that is, to try and do de-aging for a actor, a live-action uh, film. So the first one was Benjamin Button, which came out just a couple of months before that. Um, and then Jeff Bridges in, as Clue, which was the AI in Tron Legacy. Um, yeah, today, if you compare that to like the de-aging that was done in, say, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Clue looks pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. At the time, it was pretty impressive. There was, you could definitely tell that things were going on. But yeah, nowadays, unfortunately, it doesn't hold up. No, no, it doesn't. Um, so basically, you know, the idea was to use reference points and computer algorithms and the real actor. Uh, the big difference between Benjamin Button and Tron Legacy is that Jeff Bridges wanted to be on set with the actors versus Brad Pitt for those scenes. Uh, had a stand-in, and he did his stuff later uh, in a soundstage. Um, and so Jeff Bridges was there the whole time. The actors were acting to him, which does make things seem a little more genuine, rather than, you know, uh, for example, Ian McKellen was very upset about having to act to tennis balls during uh, The Hobbit. That wasn't the case here. Jeff Bridges was really there. Um, but, you know, it, I thought it worked pretty well, considering they had to make him look almost 30 years younger, and... I love Jeff Bridges. He's one of my favorite actors of all time, but he looks his age. Yeah. You know, he does. You know, it's, I think if you were to show a side by side of him today or in 2010 and him in, you know, 1982, you might not think it's the same person immediately. Um, but, uh, I thought that was just a really cool special effect. Not to mention just the CGI in the movie was really neat. Um, the light effects that were built into the suits for these, uh, ran off these batteries that were only good for 13 minutes. So anytime you see the, the actors in the in the grid suits and they're lit up, everything had to be shot in 13 minutes before the batteries died and they had to swap out the pack, um, which I thought was kind of... That sounds more like a practical effect to me. That is, yeah, but mm. I wanted to mention it. I thought it was cool. Uh, but the, uh, the CGI for the grid is one of my favorite visual things in film. I love the way the grid looks in Tron Legacy, and I love the way 3D was used in Tron Legacy. So when you're watching the movie, when you're in the real world, everything is in 2D. And then when you're in the grid, everything is in 3D to try and differentiate. And I just, I think it looks beautiful still today. It's definitely clever. So, yeah, it's a cool effect. 3D, I think, is definitely overused, but there are a handful of movies that I think do it well. I think Tron Legacy is one of those. Okay. Boom. Well done. Flynn lives. Oh my gosh. Is he done? Yeah, I'm waiting for somebody else to start oh, okay. talking. Well, I didn't know. I, I, you, you had talked so much in that span of time. I wasn't sure. Well, I was trying uh, to make up some time, you know. So uh, You're going next? You want to uh, go? Sure. Okay. Go. Sure. Okay. Go for it. So one of my favorites is Scott Pilgrim. And I think it's because the CGI in Scott Pilgrim, while it appears as in arcade and video game, a lot of the time the CGI is very nuanced small things like lifting the characters back up after martial arts even though they are on wires too you know it, it's there to push it's there to help so every time it's used it's used with a delicate touch some of my favorites were how edgar wright did the lights behind um ramona and scott while they're on the bus every time ramona was in view and it was from scott's perspective 
you see little hearts in the background on all the lights and that was all added in post with computer and then you switch and Ramona's looking at Scott and it's just a bunch of X's because you know she just looks at Scott as another X so um, while some of the more obvious ones like Brandon Routh getting headbutted into a bunch of coins <laughs> And uh, <laughs> or the Punisher coming in taking yeah. away his vegan powers. Oh my gosh, those were great! Like <laughs> seeing Thomas his eyes smoking and the, the. I actually loved those. That particular like yeah. sequence with his character was really great, and all the, yeah, the the CGI was very subtle mm -hmm. but really well executed. I agree. And of course, the the biggest CGI example out of the whole thing is the twins, double dragons versus um, sex bombs gorilla it, it was incredible to watch and it didn't take you out of the film you weren't all of a sudden like bounced into a chalk drawing like in mary poppins it felt natural it felt part of the entire show so um while the cgi is not the most impressive and they didn't invent new technology i'm always impressed when i see a director and editor use a deft hand as opposed to you know the majority of blockbusters like Transformers just see what they can blow up this time and you know Transformers was impressive the first movie but you know it's just been copy and pasted since so it's nice to have something juxtapose that so Scott Pilgrim's my first pick yeah and all the video game special effects in Scott Pilgrim just sell it for me you know whether it's the just overlays of like the scores or you know the exploding in the coins is always a lot of fun that's that's just mm -hmm. I love all of that. And the style, the stylization of Scott Pilgrim is really what makes the film. Yeah. It's really like a textbook Edgar Wright movie. And, yeah. and uh, it, it it's one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. uh, the, specifically the scene you mentioned with the, with the uh, battle uh, between the two musicians or between the five musicians, I guess it is. Um, that, that was the way they kind of personified the music into a creature, I guess, I don't know if personification sure. was a creature, but it turns it into a physical presence was, mm -hmm. I thought, really cool and really well executed. And yeah, like you said, it didn't take you out of the movie. It didn't look, like I, I just watched that movie a couple weeks ago and, and it still looks great. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. It, like it didn't age at all. And Scott Pilgrim usually appears on most of my lists. It pops up in my top tens. It pops up uh, when I talk about editing or music in a movie. Because I mean, even the song, the Battle of the Bands part um, with Clash of Demon Head and the editing where every time it hits a note, you see different eyes. Like, there's Envy's, there's Scott's, there's Ramona's, there's Todd's. Like, that is just incredible editing. And while that kind of cut scene is bad in a lot of movies, it was amazing in this one. So, you know, Scott Pilgrim will always be on my favorite list and... Edgar Wright is a fantastic director, but he really outdid himself with that. It's a fine line between really cool and really cheesy mm -hmm. when you do these types of stylizations in movies, those like those quick cuts and stuff like that. And, and for some people, this crossed the line into too cheesy, and I think that's why it made so And that's why money. we're not friends with them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Good point. I was just going to say, I think Edgar Wright knows how to walk that line. I and, think he does, but anytime you walk the line, there's going to be some people that think you crossed it. And yeah. I think that was a big problem wrong. with that movie. <laughs> I would tend to agree. Okay, um, so uh, I'm just going to put Labyrinth out there. There's not a lot to talk about in relation to CGI in that movie, but... Um, Interesting. Is the it fiery the owl? Dance. It's the owl in the beginning. The owl yeah. is uh, 
the first completely CGI created animal um, that they ever had in a movie. Um, yeah. And it, I mean, if you go back and watch it, it's obviously bad CG at this point, but it's still like pretty good considering what year that was and and uh, where CGI was at that point. Um, and obviously, we brought I think we brought that movie up on our best practical effects, but sure, I have a theory that the movies with the best practical effects also have the best CGI because uh, practical effects are in general a lot cheaper, and so they can spend more money on the CGI effects to make them stand up to where the practical effects are. So I'll probably 80% of the movies I have on this list are, are probably, you know, in my top practical movies too, because it's just, I mean, I don't know. I th- that's my theory. I don't know if that's true or not, but it makes it sense to me. It is. I mean, I was, I always look for references and see what other people have done. And then I go back to compare what I have. And the ones that we talked about on our practical list, Inception, and Mad Max Fury Road and Labyrinth, like they all pop up on the CGI effects too. Yeah. So it just the CGI effects are great when they're used when new technology is invented. That's always impressive, and when it's used to enhance what's already there, even more impressive. Fair enough. All right. So my next one then. I believe so. Unless we have a fourth person, I don't know about. <laughs> All right, so then I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm just gonna go chronologically for the time being, anyway. So, um, so next up, I'm going to the wonderful year 1991, which is Terminator 2: Judgment Day, uh, which of course had the T1000 liquid metal effect. Um, yes, this was an extension of a similar effect used in, in the Abyss, but this was really what I felt. Both by James Cameron, though. Both by James Cameron, and he he probably will show up between the three of us a few times. Um, and I thought the T-1000 was kind of perfecting that special effect. Um, just the, the ability for his appendages to change, that scene where he walks through the bars and the gun gets stuck. Where he walks away from the explosion and like all these reforming. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a good cool. one. The, where the cool. liquid actually comes together and at, towards the end. And, uh, oh, when he melts? Completely yeah. copied oh, for The Secret Life of Alex Mack on Nickelodeon. I do think, I do think it's <laughs> funny to note, T2 was also on our list of best practical effects. Yeah, and rightfully so, I think. Um, I, even like the, the helicopter scene where he ju- you know he smashes the helicopter window with his head and then he just like, like I don't know, what would you Oozes. call it? Like pours in, yeah. you know, like it's just, and then, you know, he's talking while he's silver and like motion capture didn't exist back then, you know, so this was all animated by, by hand, well, not by hand, but by mouse hand, I guess, on computers. Um, it's by mouse hand. I don't know, whatever. Um you know, and, and there's some other like smaller, uh, you know, digital effects that had to go in there, like towards the end of the film when, you know, uh, Sarah Connor just blows the giant hole in the middle of him and you can see her through him, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, just really cool, really fantastic. The uh, the HUD overlay on on uh, Arnold's Terminator, the T-800, I always thought was super cool. You know, in my head, if we ever had that type of technology, like, that's exactly what I would expect it to look like. That's what you would want it to look like. I was talking about. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, T2, man. Like, that, the T-1000 is still one of the coolest special effects for me. It's still used, you know, even Terminator Genesis borrowed that, that effect. Uh, Terminator 3 borrowed that effect. Um, and that's, that's really where it came into the mainstream. Because the Abyss was still kind of artsy. 
it was only used sparingly towards the end with the aliens and you know the rest of the movie had some really amazing practical effects right but it was mostly in terminator where we got to see that mostly mostly okay <laughs> my turn my turn yes um so i'm gonna talk about one of my favorite movies to watch and that is 300 I know why it's your favorite movie to watch. And it's not because of the CG. Nope, it is not. It is because of Big the naked dudes. literal 300 men that Spartans. are wearing... Not just any men. These are Spartans. Like, it's Gerard Butler and Michael Fassbender, and they are wearing panties. And that and is fully it. airbrushed muscles. I always forget that Michael Fassbender is I know, that. right? <laughs> <laughs> One of his very first big roles. So... But let's talk about how amazing the CGI is because it is incredibly outstanding. This is where Zack Snyder really comes into his own as far as sepia filters. <laughs> but it's the only one that like he did right because it's this beautiful Ouch. orange instead of black everywhere. And uh, it, like everything is acted against a green screen. Like they weren't on location for any of it so even though they were exercising so like they are a hundred percent practical between their makeup and their own bodies um <laughs> everything surrounding them all the animals the millions of persians in the army just the persian king himself was exaggerated and cg'd um i believe that uh the character that portrays them. Ephialtes. Yeah. <laughs> wow, you've been waiting to pull that yeah, out. I have. Nice. I was going to hit her with a quote, but I was like, nope, I got my I got my chance right now. Nice. <laughs> he was mostly practical in makeup, but even he had some CG enhancements. So I was really impressed with that. Like, the CG, again, it, I think this just keeps popping up, but it's in the background. Like, it's not the forefront. It's impressive that these guys learned all these fighting skills, and it's impressive that... They are, I mean, it's a movie mostly talking and then fighting, talking and then fighting, but the CG is still going on in the background. You see beautiful landscapes of, uh, you know, grain in the wind and that's completely animated or um, clouds in the sky, just beautiful purples and reds and something you can never get on I film. Think, I think what was impressive for me was that because of the way it was shot with on the green screen and everything like that, it literally looked like a moving graphic novel yeah. um, or comic book. Uh, I mean, it was Im very impressive. I, yeah. I remember leaving the theater at that point, and that was one of the first... I don't. Did that come out before Watchmen? Yes. I think it did. Yeah. It that did. was one of my first uh, Zack Snyder... Experiences. experiences and, and that was what really drew me in it i was mean, probably it was, my first yeah i can't think of anything yeah. before that that i would have been really familiar I mean, with it was the first so. blu-ray i ever bought it was it was a gorgeous movie and yeah i mean the story is great gerard yeah. butler sells it and all the actors are great i mean yeah but the cg was i don't know if i could say it was subtly done it was background but like it stood out I mean, yeah so Subtle's a little weird it's just you know, there's no complete CGI characters like right. in some of these others. And, you know, you didn't have one actor acting to absolutely nothing. You you had a bunch of people around, but everything in the background, everything they're, 
that are literally surrounded by the floor, the ceilings, the walls, the outdoors. Like that's all 100% CGI. And it was because the graphic novel was originally painted in watercolors and he wanted to mimic that look. Mm. He nailed it. Yeah. yeah also absolutely. Xerxes was like super weird. Like, man, you make me uncomfortable when you're on screen. That's... Yeah. The voice didn't match the body. Right. Like, yeah. And he's, like, offering these women and men and whatever else that are, like, scarred up but still mm-hmm. attractive. And it's, like, you know, it's just a very weird dynamic in, yeah. in that whole character. He had a weird sex dungeon. Yeah. Like, I don't, and I don't want any part of him. fit right in. Like, that was his best, the best day of his life. Yeah. So, my next one, I'm going to move it. Wait, we're skipping me, I guess. Yeah. But Derek's more important, so no, I guess we should I'm just sorry. go I'm again. used to going... I'm used to no, going clockwise. No, it's okay. Yours is more important, Derek. Let's go. It's not. I'm just used to going Chronologically, clockwise. Chronologically, Derek. Go ahead. Um, which one do I want to go with? Okay, I'm going to go with one that's... A lot of the movies we talked about are, like, pretty big movies. I'm going to go with one that I remember from my younger years, um, but it was very, pretty impressive. Hollow Man with Kevin oh Bacon. Oh my gosh, yeah, that was wow. so impressive when it came out. It actually still is not really that bad. Like, yeah. uh, you know, the transitions between him, like when he's first turning into the invisible Hollow Man, whatever, uh, and you can see like things start to open on him and see his muscles and bones and stuff. I mean, this it, that was pretty cool stuff. Um, I think the more impressive stuff was, and that still fa- holds up fairly well, was when he was actually invisible and he was moving through water or moving through smoke mm-hmm. or the part that stuck with me when I was a kid was towards the end when the fire is like, they're trying to escape the bunker and the fire is coming up and burning the invisible man, but you can still see burn stuff mm-hmm. and you can see his burn dongle like flopping in the breeze there. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really weird. Like I always wondered if Kevin Bacon was like the stunt dick, like did he, or did he have a stunt dick come in for that or like what it was? That was all I'm, bacon. It was, I'm dead serious. Oh you can God, like, they went that. so far. No, I don't think movies nowadays would go so far as to have a burned penis that you can barely see. It's I don't know what the point of having it in that scene was, but you can definitely see it there. Look, if we're going to make an Invisible Man movie, it's going to be anatomically correct. You're going to see that smoke <laughs> displaced when his penis enters. Like, it's, uh, yeah, it was weird. But the effects were pretty incredible for the time. Uh, and I actually watched that movie a lot when I was younger. Not because of the Kevin Bacon penis, that, but just... That's new information about you. Like, that adds a different depth to our friendship. I don't know why that really, like, caught me, but it, <laughs> it was Chris Bacon. Chris yeah. Bacon. It was Chris Bacon. Thank I you, mean, Midnight Pearl. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, heavy on the bacon on that one. That's fantastic. If you haven't seen it, then you got to watch that scene to know how heavy exactly. But so this is why we stream this live on Twitch so people can chat. That yeah, so that that's actual great. funny people can yeah, can say jokes. That's good. Yeah, no, that movie. I don't know why I watched it so much, but I actually watched that movie me. a ton. Really? I, yeah, my grandmother okay, had well, it. I feel better then. My grandmother had it on VHS, and I used to watch it all the time. I watched it once. And I was like, no, don't like, don't like. <laughs> they used to play on it. HBO a lot, and oh, I think okay. that's why I watched it because I didn't have it on VHS or anything. We didn't have HBO, uh, but yeah, I actually remember those special effects being pretty impressive. Even then, was really really cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a good one, man. I haven't thought about that movie in years. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> Did you notice the, the penis when it was... Uh... Not, I'm not remembering that. Okay. I'm not saying I didn't notice. I don't... It's, it's been a while since Derek, I've watched it. Did you it. notice the penis? I was a weird kid, I mean, I guess. I'd like to think I would notice Kevin Bacon's penis, but... But it was like, it wasn't really. Like, it was a burned, I mean, invisible version of Kevin Bacon's penis. So was it accurate is the question. Well, I don't know. I don't know. 
Uh, we'll, have to, we'll, have, stunt dick. we'll have to ask Kevin. Yeah, we'll get him on the show. <laughs> um, all right, so my next one is uh, is all the way in the year 1999, uh, The Matrix. I knew you were going to say that. The Matrix. Uh, not the two sequels who... Well, oh, the CG was great in those. What well, are you talking about? Uh, this. So, okay. So uh, Reloaded did do some cool stuff with oh, the 100 Agents the Play-Doh fight, fight scene, scene, but it's pretty bad. And then the finale fight in Revelations is awful. But the first Matrix did some pretty revolutionary stuff, still holds up today visually, and looks incredible. Um, the bullet time scene is a mixture of practical and digital effects. You know, you've got Keanu Reeves. I think it's practical camera work. It's practical camera work. CGI bullets, Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. So the way it was shot is Keanu Reeves in a green screen room, like a square room, um, all green everywhere except for these holes for this ca- the camera cutouts. And so if you don't know the way that it was shot from a practical standpoint, it was just dozens of cameras circling the room at slightly offset uh, heights. So that way you had that kind of swooping spin around uh, that you saw in the film. Um, it's a common thing that's done at, at different types of like conventions now to get like these cool spinning gifts and things like that. But in 1999, it had never really been done in a motion picture before to that level anyway. Um, and then, so they have to put in the, the, the building, the building, the skyline, the city, all of that is, is put in later CGI green screen. And then the bullets with the waves going through the air, uh, the ca- going straight at the camera, like it, it created one of the coolest effects that might also be one of the most overused special effects shortly after that for like the next five years. Yeah. <laughs> right. Every movie had bullet time. That's true. Um, including Shrek. Shrek had bullet time? Yeah, because Shrek when, when she stop, goes up and like, uh, <laughs> the, the Karate Kid type thing, oh, and then she's like, it spins around her and then she starts kicking people. Obviously right. it's a little different in an animated movie, <laughs> well, sure, but, sure. yeah, um, I don't know why I remember that either. I don't even remember like who Shrek is, but I remember that one scene. That is pretty funny. Um, there's obviously a, b- a bunch of digital effects in the Matrix, right? All of the pods uh, that the people are like sleeping in, like there's only a few of those that actually exist, the rest are all... Uh, CGI or painted. You've uh, you know got the the slow motion movements of of the agents. You know with the kung fu stuff. Um, a lot of that was choreographed, but it was enhanced with special effects, um, and it just you know was mimicked for years after that. Uh, so you know the Matrix kind of changed how fight scenes were done in movies, how shots were done in movies, and it could bend a lot of the rules because it was all you know a computer simulation anyway. So if something didn't look quite right, that was the excuse, you know. I feel like Matrix is one of the pinnacles of special effects. Like we're not going to see something really explode like that unless they create new technology for it, and it it just blew everybody away. Nobody expected it. Yeah, it was so cool. I mm-hmm. loved it, and I think maybe, maybe that's why. Reloaded and Revelations are probably as disappointing as they are because the first movie is so good in comparison. They probably should have just stopped. Like, the story was at a decent end point, I think. And I know the Animatrix people love, so they could continue doing that because you can animate whatever the hell you want. Yeah, the Animatrix is some cool stuff, by the way. If you don't know what that is, it's a, a bunch of short films that are all done in different animation styles, and they're pretty cool. Yeah. My turn? Yep. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to talk about two individual moments out of a franchise because I don't actually believe that 
this franchise has really revolutionized anything and not even the entire movies that these moments occur in are fairly wonderful and special effects but these two sequences are brilliant and I always go back to them that is the X-Men franchise specifically Brian Singer's part the opening of X2 with Nightcrawler and the Quicksilver in the kitchen scene those two scenes are so well done, so entertaining, and some of the best uses of CGI and superpowers I think I've ever seen. Now, I, I absolutely hate Brian Singer. I don't condone anything he's ever done, ever. But these two scenes are amazing. <laughs> yeah, the Nightcrawler scene It's uh, incredible. Specifically it everybody was, away. Yeah, I remember seeing that in the theater... And I was just like jaw dropped. I mean, first it was your first time seeing Nightcrawler because he wasn't in, yeah. the, in the first one. No. Um, and so I always thought he was a cool character. And so seeing him and seeing him do cool stuff was, it blew me away. Yeah. I loved that scene very much. And the, the Quicksilver scene was cool. I'm just not as big of a fan of that particular movie, I guess. Right. Um, well, nothing about Evan Peters as Quicksilver was great for me. I hated the costume. I didn't like his characterization, but that scene, if I just take apart that scene, it may be one of my favorites in the entire X-Men franchise. And being a big X-Men fangirl, I've told you guys multiple times that there's not one movie I'm completely satisfied with and I'd rewrite all of them, but I think I'd have to keep that scene because even though it's ridiculous and there's no reason why Quicksilver should be in this timeline. <laughs> or that fast. Or that impossibly fast. Yeah, yeah, he was never that fast in no. the comic books. But it was just amazing to watch. It was cool. And Part I mean, I mean, at the time, I'm pretty sure Flash had just started uh, on the CW, so they had already had some Speedster stuff out, out mm -hmm. there, mm -hmm. and so they were trying to do something different. I think they succeeded in that, but they also made him so insanely fast that, and powerful that he could solve literally any problem. Which is why yeah. in X-Men Apocalypse, when Havoc is the one person that he fails to save, like, it just doesn't make any no. sense. He could have saved everybody yeah. and everything and, and they, you yeah. know, gotten a cheeseburger and been back. It's the speedster problem. Comic yeah. books have it too. Like, you have to job the character down to fit the the, the uh, level of the issue that he's facing. Yeah. You know, you have to reduce mm -hmm. his powers just to fit whatever's in the story. And that never quite sat right with me in general. But that scene was great. I'm not taking anything away from that scene. No, you, you just take that scene out of the movie. You just watch those, <laughs> like, three minutes, and it's fun. And yeah. it's perfect, and it's impressive. And that's same as Nightcrawler. Like, to me, the first movie is fairly boring. Everything falls really flat. So to open your second movie with that is so impressive. I really Yeah, but do you it. know what happens when a frog gets hit by lightning? It's a toad, dude. The same thing that happens to everything else. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite line from That's that That's some one. good writing there. <laughs> that was Joss Whedon, by the way. I know. My favorite line from that movie was always like, how do we know you're Wolverine? Like, you're a dick. I actually I was okay with that. Yeah, that was a great line. I yeah, love that one. Funny. All right. All right. Ryan. Okay, I'm going to hit a controversial one. Oh, no. Spider-Man 3. Specifically, not the whole movie because there's a lot of weird stuff going on in that movie, but the Sandman transformation scene. Um, when he's first turned into Sandman was incredibly impressive. The way they pulled that off. Seeing all the sand particles kind of come together. Um, and it... 
you know, obviously, if you've seen that movie, the Sandman was the like, one redeeming quality of that movie. He was amazing. Uh, the actor, the character was well written uh, compared Great to a lot of other part of movies. The storyline was sympathetic, which obviously I love with superhero stuff. Um, and what an exit. Haven't you guys ever wanted to just like float away from a conversation? Like, Yeah, that was a little weird, that ending. But, but like, no, all the things. Seriously, scenes... I want to disintegrate when I'm talking to people. I so wanted I to disintegrate go. when I finished that movie. But <laughs> what do you think happened to him during Infinity War? <laughs> Turn to dust? You need to stop. Uh, I, all the scenes where, where physics are, are involved, real physics are involved with the sand, was great. Like when yeah. he's in the sewer and he's the water's oh, coming yeah. and he's dissolving. That was cool uh, and really well executed. I think all the Sandman stuff was really well executed in that movie. And I think it gets that movie gets a lot of flack for a lot of very good reasons. But um, there are some standout moments in that movie. Yeah, Sandman's great in that. The special effects for that are good. And I will go so as far uh, as far as to say that I actually think the symbiote suit looks good. Yeah. The, the suit the on suit. Toby looked yeah. amazing. It's a very cool suit. The uh, costume department, A, a plus on that. That's a practical suit. Yeah, that's a practical suit. I, but you were saying the, the one redeeming quality is Spider-Man 3. I think it has right. two redeeming qualities. <laughs> and, well, I was going to say the dance <laughs> scene was probably the next yeah. redeeming quality. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Um, Derek, just go. All right, fine. I'll just go. So next up, okay. So my next movie then is from 2005, and that is Sin City. So uh, Sin City, for for those who don't know, basically everything you're looking at was artificially created later on computers. The sets are almost completely green screen with just a few props there. The actors are not in grayscale makeup or colorized in any weird way that they're just they look normal normal makeup and then they are definitely like just completely overhauled in post in the in the uh, for special effects so the way this movie looks the stylization of this movie we talked about how um you know 300 was like kind of looked like that graphic novel sin city looks like it came off the pages of a comic book right just a grayscale comic book and it looks exactly like frank miller wrote and drew it I've actually never seen Sin City. Oh, man. It's so freaking cool. I'm sure I would. I just have never gotten around to watching it. It's not because I'm, you know. The visuals are super neat. Like, they they will colorize certain things. Like, blood is always red, even though everything else is black and white, right? And uh, things like that. And it's just, uh, it's super cool. Super, super, super well done. The visuals are just amazing. And when you realize that this was all done in post on computers 13 years ago for every shot in every scene... It's that much more impressive. Well, those things were shot incredibly fast. The opening scene with Marley Shelton and Josh Hartnett was shot as test footage because the studio told Robert Rodriguez there was no way he could make this film. So he had those two actors come over to his house. They shot that in his basement against a green screen. And in a month, got it turned around with an editor to... Um, show them that he could do this entire movie basically on one stage with very few actors interacting with each other and just be done with it. So, you know, he had to audition for this and he proved them right. Yeah, I mean, there's so many cool things about this movie that go beyond the special effects. You know, even even the practical effects, the way the movie shot, the storytelling, the, the Watching the Tarantino get gutted, that was cool. <laughs> Sure. Lord, Lord, sure. Uh, it's not even a big problem. Well, but, uh, it's just 
like I hesitate to say that it's a beautiful film, right? Because it's disturbing as hell, but it's super impressive. Yeah, it's pretty, you know, like just the work that these people put into it is is just spot on perfect. Um, and I just I still think it's impressive. I think the sequel looked just as good. It may not have been as good of a story as the first movie, but I think it looked just as good. Yeah, in chat they mentioned the same thing. So they said it's so much cleaner. Mm-hmm. than the first one yeah yeah the, the second one definitely has the advantages of newer technologies and the storytelling is totally different the first film is told out of sequential order whereas the first the second film is told straight up in sequential order um, so you know whatever i like them both i think they're both good in their own ways first one is a superior film but the second one yeah second one definitely looks cleaner you know they they were able to learn right and use new tech so sin city Rachel. Uh, so I'm going to talk about a movie that I absolutely adore. It did very poorly and I was impressed with from start to finish. And that was Warcraft. That thing is almost like one big animated film. We've seen these before. There were actual real life actors on set and then animation was put over all of it. But this was the first time I'd ever seen it done without such a jarring effect like a scanner darkly did it. And that's mostly just cell shading on everybody. And that was a weird indie effect that, like, I still don't know if it made the movie better or not. Or if it just was pretentious. I haven't decided. But for Warcraft, I knew exactly what it was up front. They wanted it to look like a movie version of the game as much as possible. And they succeeded. Now, you don't like the story, that's fine. You don't like the acting, that's fine too. I understand where you're coming from. I get it. But you can't hate the way it looks. Everything from individual hairs to pores on orc skin to leaves and grass and animals. Like, it was edited and crafted with such care that... I, I don't even know if there's a movie out there I can compare it to. There's actually, it's not just the CG effects, because Adam Savage actually got shipped, and he had purchased a full set of armor from Warcraft, and they were crafted by real armorsmiths, much like some of the other mm-hmm. franchises that we haven't talked about yet, but... Uh, I mean, everything, they did up-close shots in this unboxing video, and it was all gorgeous. So, I mean, if they put that much care into the practical effects, then I'm sure they had equal amounts of care into the, into the computer-generated effects. Yeah. shame. I've never seen the movie, well. but seeing that made me have a lot of respect for it. Uh, we got that over here, too, buddy. It's, it's around here somewhere. Um, you literally just had your finger on did it. I, yeah, okay. I just missed it. Um, so, I mean, when, when you learn what the budget was for this movie, too, the budget was, like, nothing. Now, to be fair, they didn't have a lot, any real, like, A-list actors money. to pay. Um, but this was a tight budget yeah, for Dominic this film. Dominic Cooper was their biggest uh, actor on set. Yeah. Uh, it was a very tight budget. If I remember right, it was like $65 million or something like that. It was something really low. Just that tiny amount of money. And, well, when you compare it to... I mean, Aquaman's getting one sixty-five. Suicide Squad got one sixty-five, right? But you have the A-list actors. Well, Warcraft also didn't use stock photos for its posters. That's true, yeah. So that's one big advantage. I, mean, I don't know. I think they just lifted stuff from their, their games. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but like, seriously, though, like, like Duratan and um, just the, the Horde just looked yeah. so freaking cool. You know, 
I love the movie, actually. I'm one of the few people who really, really enjoyed it. I loved it, too. I was just saying, if you have a problem yeah. with it, I understand. Because it is not your typical American film. It does not follow the formula. The guy gets girl. Guy wins the day. It doesn't. So I'm so sorry that you Americans can't deal with change. But <laughs> but even, like, the magical effects when, you know, he's using magic and the... And the Illidan. You know, and, yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's beautiful. I, always, I thought the movie was beautifully done um and given the budget constraints that they had makes it that much more impressive when you see movies you know that get 200 250 million dollars like star wars and dc and marvel and they have bad cgi in them still this movie i think like yoda lightsaber fight i mean that was a long time ago so i mean more of like the leia floating in space in the last jedi or mm. um that's leia poppins that's some of the so like the the justice league steppenwolf battle right like just bad cgi in a movie that had 200 plus million dollars to play with and then you see something like this that had less than 100 million if i'm remembering correctly and just made a, a whole fantasy you, you know world so beautiful movie beautiful movie mm-hmm. ryan there's a lot of movies still have to talk about that uh, we haven't even touched we on. We might have to do a lightning round. Um, but I, I'm just going to say Lord of the Rings in general, yeah. the franchise. Um, not the Hobbit movies. Nope. But that is how not to do CGI. The the specific moments I would isolate from those movies would not be... Not the uh, Legolas going up the falling staircase? The specific <laughs> moments I would isolate in those movies for me would be like the the character of Gollum just in general. Mm-hmm. The first real wonderful use of motion capture with Andy Serkis. Um, his whole character was just phenomenal. And he was supposed to just voice it at the beginning. He wasn't supposed right. to do that. The but then animator... he started acting like, yeah. well, and they were like, well, you gotta do it now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the Battle of Pelennor Fields from Return of the King. Oh my where, God, uh, If you don't remember the scene, it's basically a bunch of dudes fighting a bunch of other dudes, but they're on giant like war beast elephant things that uh, like 20 guys can sit on and shoot arrows down and they have like barbed wire on their tusks and stuff. And I guess this was originally supposed to be a practical fight, which I have no idea how they would have done that. But then Peter Jackson requested that they do digital instead. And it still holds up pretty well. Like, I mean, you can obviously see... There's a couple spots of green screen issues that I have with two towers, but... Well, even even that fight, there's some scenes where... um, a couple of characters are riding on a horse, Pippin and some other characters, and, and it's like clearly green screen, or screen behind Got them. It. And you can tell. But, you know, when it goes to the wide shots and you see the whole battle, um, it's it's much better. Yeah. And I think that that holds up. Those are the two big moments for me. That, that I really like the way that Shelob was taken care of in the second one, too. Because mm-hmm. it was half practical and half digital, and she looked frightening. And seeing you know, what she did to Frodo's, like, lifeless body was pretty scary, too. So it was just, it's a small moment that really had a huge impact on me as far as cinema goes. I remember really looking forward to that scene and seeing that what they did with her when, because I read had read the books, and my right. dad read them to me as a kid, and I read them myself later on. And so well, I knew that scene was going to happen, and I was like, how are they going to do it? How, how is she going to look? And, and I was definitely not disappointed. It was creepy, yeah. creepy, creepy. No, I still think the original three Lord of the Rings movies are incredibly impressive and still look good. Now, there's a lot of practical effects in there, which is why they hold up as well as they do. Uh, but, like, the Ents look amazing. I love the Ents, especially, you know, when they go to war and, and yeah. all of that. It's just it's just so cool. They're all mm. different. Each one of them is unique. You know, it's not just a copy and paste, which you see in a lot of these, like, war-style films where they just take one 
one print of a character and copy it a million times, you right. know? The uh, battle between Saruman and Gandalf is really cool, where he has him hanging over the ledge, and mm-hmm. he's just, like, twisting his body around. Like, can you imagine? Ian McKellen was, like, 900 then, so, you know, doing those kind of stunts on that wire work and then having the digital, like, wrap him around all the time, like, that, that was just... It's so good. And don't forget any scene where you have the hobbits with any of the full-size, you know, human characters. Like, that's not happening together. Yeah. You know, there's... But a lot of that was done practically, yeah. too. Yeah, there, there's some, you know, forced Anytime they're sitting stuff. down and stuff like yeah. that, yeah. But there's there's times where they're, they're spliced in, and, you know, that's... It's cool technology. But it doesn't stand out. No. The doesn't. Balrog, too, was very cool. Was yes. Very cool, uh, we talked about how disappointing yes. Hobbit was just a little bit, but I, I do want to give a nice little shout-out to King Kong, because even though it wasn't that great of a movie and people had a lot of issues with it, the CGI is impressive as shit. Which, you mean the... the his. Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson. Yeah, King I'm Kong? specifically talking about his work. Man, that scene where they fall into like that crevice and all those bugs start coming out of the ground is one of the creepiest scenes I've it. ever watched in a movie. Still, to this day, like creeps yeah. me out. And Kong looks good. He looks better in Skull Island, but there's also about 10 years between those two movies. So Peter Jackson knows how to do special effects well. He just let them overwhelm him in Hobbit. Yeah, I agree. All right. So I guess this is probably my last one because we do, we do five of these, I suppose. We're already 15 minutes so over. It's all right. It's all right. All right. So mine is going to be War for Planet of the Apes. Andy Circus again as caesar now of course caesar's in all three of the uh prequel planet of the apes films but the third one is really his film it's complete it's his perspective he is the lead this man deserves a freaking oscar like for for being you know who he is in this movie it, it, it looks so good caesar looks so, so real in war for planet of the apes and andy circus does such an incredible job of making him be unique he's not human but he's not an animal he is just caesar and it's fantastic it is seamless in this movie the scenes that he has with like woody harrelson the action sequences which there are a lot of in this Mm. movie uh it just you know every every ape and every chimp is unique and different and they're all done with mocap now and actors and it just it all looks so real that it's pretty great right like i just want to see more of it that's, that's what I want to see is more of that because it's just so impressive. Yeah. I've never seen that, so. Man, it's so good. I will War, say, War like, for Planet of the Apes is fantastic. <laughs> I've seen a lot of movies. I've seen a lot of trilogies. And just as a trilogy goes, that might be pretty perfect. The story is tight throughout all three films. The story arcs between the characters is impressive. And the effects don't take away. It's just, it starts and ends beautifully in the middle, holds up as well. There's not a down point. I don't think there's a weak movie among them. So It's one of the few instances, I think, where the third film in a trilogy is the best of the trilogy. And it's a damn good movie, just all across the board. Everything about it, I love War for Planet of the Apes. And I'm not exaggerating or being silly when I say that I think, at a minimum, Andy Serkis deserved a nomination for his performance, if not a win. Because what he is doing, I think, is harder to do than what most actors are doing. Yes. It's just so impressive. (laughs) Absolutely. So that's my final pick. 
and the newest movie on my list. So chronological. <laughs> so I, my last pick was actually Lord of the Rings. So I'm just going to spitball something. I wouldn't have saved it for last if I thought um, I had some overlap. Doctor Strange was incredibly impressive and just everything from start to finish, all the stuff that they were able to do with his uh, magic and his fighting, especially a little bit, I want to say like two thirds of the way through the movie, second act, like he's fighting Cassilius and it's on this like weird moving, ever shifting Morbius strip and <laughs> I have no idea how they're doing it, how they filmed it, what they're doing, but the combination of practical to the fights and uh, CGI to the landscape and magic was so much fun. Of course, the trippy scene where he is understanding the third eye and... The baby fingers yeah. or whatever that is. Yeah, <laughs> so that, hands. that's insane. That is insane. But that one fight scene that I'm specifically talking about uh, regarding... Cassilius and Doctor Strange was um, the most impressive part of the movie. So it was unique, especially when compared to the other Marvel movies that don't use powers like that. And if that's where they're going with these mystical heroes, then I like I want to see a Zatanna film like right away. Mm. And if that's what's happening, then I'm in. Yeah, visually, I. I I like, I know, you know, we re-ranked the MCU last week and Doctor Strange wasn't too high on the list, but from a visual perspective, I love the visuals. Mm -hmm. It's so trippy. It's so cool when she, you know, knocks the spirit out of his body, like it's just a beautifully done scene. And yeah, the, the, the trip that he goes on is pretty crazy to follow. And you know, the, the mirror realm when things are folding in on itself is just, I thought just really tight and really well done in a way that could have been really messy, right? We mentioned Transformers earlier and when the Transformers transform now, it's just a mess of junk. You can't really follow any of the parts, so it doesn't really feel like it's happening. But in Doctor Strange, it just felt a lot tighter. It felt a lot more um, sophisticated, I guess, of, a, of an effect. So I really like that the uh, the time chain when he does the when he reverses time at the end of the movie, right? And the streets you know all destroyed, and he goes back, and he reverses it all. I just thought that looked really cool, and I'm sure a lot of that was practical, but some of that you know had to have been CGI, I imagine, and it's just a cool scene. So, mm -hmm. so he just one. played it in reverse, <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, the whole film actually, like, the whole film just... right there. Right, watch it twice. What is your last one? Okay, um, I'm I'm gonna say something a little more subtle. Forrest Gump. Really? I it's think the that at the end. I think that <laughs> yeah, yeah. the uh, <laughs> scenes where he's inserted into historical footage um, and are interacting with historical figures. Yes. Um, it was a subtle, a subtle effect, but I thought that it was really well executed and believable. I mean, there was a little bit of leeway because the footage that they were playing was made was looked old. Yes. You know. Um, but it ended up working. Also, the CGI for uh, Lieutenant Dan and Got No Legs, uh, you know, that was pretty well done, I thought. <laughs> I forget um, that that, yeah. The green screen legs. That yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. And, I mean, the acting was what really sold that, I think, but the CG that, that they had to do there was pretty impressive as well. Yeah. How heartbreaking is that scene where, like, the hookers walk out? Like, that is so sad. Even to this day, they make fun of them. I'm like, how dare you 
I do like, I do like you know the special effects they had to do to edit Tom Hanks into like historical scenes like the scene with JFK and yeah. stuff like that like that was cool. Uh, today that'd be so easy for us to do with our computer technology, but like, it, sure. there's probably an app on our phone that could do it. But back then, that was actually a pretty big. Feat it was shocking for people, yeah, yeah, when they saw it, they were like, "How the heck did they do that?" Right. So I, I forget that because that movie is so character focused, right? And you know, so much of it is is practical stuff because it's just real life events, and you have the war, and not you know. So I forget that there's there are some digital things that go into that. So that that's a good one to bring up. Yeah, yeah I like it. Would not have thought about it. So tons of movies we didn't talk about this week. Go ahead and tell us what your favorite moments of CGI in film history are. This specific episode was just live action films. So we can talk about, uh, we can do another episode where we talk about points of animation that are inserted into live action. We can talk about our favorite animated techniques um, new animation that's created. We can talk about... We should just do a sequel of more CGI stuff. That's great. So, totally up to you guys. Let us know in the comments what you'd like to see more. We would like to sign out. So, Ryan, where can people find you? Buster Props. Sweetness. Facebook, Instagram, all that jazz. And you have a contest going on right now, so... Just a giveaway, yeah. It's uh, So, hop in there and like and share and get free stuff. Yeah. Derek, where can people find you? I am the Star Trek Dude on Twitter. You can also find me on Red Shirts and Runabouts, our Star Trek podcast that comes out Fridays in the Heroes Podcast Network. And, and we do have... you also have a contest going on? We do not have a contest going on. No, I on. meant like do you personally? Or... No, oh, no okay. contest. You're not contesting uh, anything? But we do have a ton of news to talk about out of Star Trek Las Vegas, so please tune into our episode this week. Absolutely. And I am Siren Ray. I am a cosplayer. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I currently have a Kickstarter going on for a pinup calendar. It is my first thing. We are doing fairly well, plugging away. Go ahead and go to any one of my websites for the Kickstarter link, but you can also just search Siren Ray or pinup calendar, and I'm one of the first things on there. So do that. Back me. Contribute because... I'd like to know that this wasn't a huge waste of my time. And it's spelled S-I-R-Y-N-R-A-E. Yes, Siren, Ray, like the X-Men. There you go. Okay. And we are Screen Heroes on the Heroes Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you to everybody who joined us in Twitch. Don't forget you can join us live Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash heroespodcasts or find us at heroespodcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and heroespodcasts. We'll be back next week. We'll yeah. see you then, everybody. Bye, guys. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.